people getting itchy to get down and dirty and do some gardening. So our annual visit with Tim Kane, inventory and marketing manager at Pride's Corner Farms in Lebanon. The original farm is in Lebanon and has been for more than 40 years. And now Pride's has three satellite farms in Cromwell, Ledyard, and West Suffield. Pride's grows the trees, shrubs, flowers, and vegetable plants and fruit trees and shrubs that you see in your favorite independent garden centers. Tim, good to have you back again as people getting itchy to start doing their gardening this year. This is such a colorful time of the year. Can you name some of the plants that are in full bloom now to help our listeners? Well, you know, it, it's it's funny, Wayne. Um, you know, the warm weather we had a couple weeks ago really kind of jump-started all the plants in the landscape. So if you're driving around right now, you're seeing things like crab apples and red buds, flowering uh, cherries, dogwoods are starting, and, and uh, those are the trees. But there's a lot of different perennials and shrubs that are in bloom. Rhododendron have started to bloom, hellebores, uh Tiorella, Aquilegia, all these different things growing in the garden right now that are really starting to put on a show. Mother's Day is coming up soon. In fact, this year is as late on the calendar as Mother's Day can be in the month. For the folks that might want to get a plant for Mother's Day, what can we expect to be flowering for the second Sunday in May? Well, you know something, Wayno, when I was, uh, you know, uh, when I was working at the garden centers, it, it didn't really matter what was anything that had a touch of a flower on it seemed to go at that point because everybody's looking to give mom something great. But you know, the, in the landscape, you're going to see things like azaleas and rhododendron, roses, lilacs. All those things will be budded up, and they'll uh, they'll be putting on a show at the garden centers also. So all those things. Uh, You'll be, uh, you'll be waiting in line to get some beautiful plants at that point, for sure. It's funny, because you talk about the garden centers, and yes, I remember the day you and I first met, like 30 years ago, out at the Holdridge Garden Center in Columbia, and we had this thing with our afternoon man, Gordon Smith, and I would go out there like once a week and interview you, and we'd have our own little garden there, and we'd reap the benefits of that garden. Full disclosure, though, you did the heavy lifting. You were there basically seven days a week, watering, maintaining it, and things like that. But those were fun days, and uh, we, we, we had some, some good gardening products out there. But this thing about people growing their own vegetables and then putting them on their table, that's become a real big thing, hasn't it? It's huge, and I think uh, you, you see a lot, even the stuff that they're not growing themselves you see people paying attention a lot more with produce at the the grocery store but this is a time of year definitely where people are really starting to get into the fact that they're growing tomatoes and peppers and things like that that used to be kind of the least common denominator for all gardeners but people are branching out really that's kind of a great pun branching out but uh but people are really have been a lot more into this, and and uh, some of it has to do. Some of this was going on even before the the pandemic hit, but the pandemic kind of intensified this, and people are really trying to buy more locally with everything that they eat, and some of that means raising it themselves, and some of it means that they are they were talking to local farmers more people have businesses now where they they have contracts where they 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 sell shares to people and they deliver produce and other things to uh homeowners uh 
uh, once a week, once a, once a month, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of different things going on that really have been intensified by, by COVID in a lot of ways. But people want to get out there now and, uh, and get their hands dirty and, and feel good about them growing their own stuff, whether it's vegetables, berries, fruit, that kind of thing. Tim, in your job, you've got to be like an amateur weatherman, and I'm wondering, some people did report some frost yesterday. I'm not getting frost reports this morning, but in your gut, do you think that we are done with frost for this spring, or is that still something you've got to be heads up on down the road? You definitely got to be heads up at this point. Our normal, around here, our normal last frost date, and of course, with with the warming up, that date kind of gets a little earlier, it seems, uh, every 10 years. But, uh, but the middle of May is really the point where you can kind of start breathing a sigh of relief and that, uh, that maybe you're, you're not going to have a, that you're going to have a lot less opportunity to have frost. Now, a lot of people take the risk and start putting plants in at this point. Certainly, if you're down near the shoreline, you have far less chance of, uh, of having uh, frost issues. But in, in our neck of the woods here in eastern Connecticut, especially with all the, the, the hilly nature and all the valleys and stuff, there's always opportunity until really mid-May to, to you really have to be wary, I guess. May 20th, 2002, Bradley hit 30 degrees. So as Tim said, it can happen. We had a a drought in the summer of 2022. We had a relatively mild winter and a lack of consistent snowpack. How does all that affect plants in the landscape? Well, that's a great question, Wayne. You know, uh, a lot of people uh, feel that some of their plants uh, survived last year newly planted plants last year had an issue just because people couldn't water them as much and maybe people are with stuff really starting to come alive in their their landscapes maybe finding that there's some gaps in their landscape this year as a result of plants that maybe looked like they made it through last year but maybe did not because of that lack of water kind of thing. So you have to go out and reassess what you've got there. That, that water stress that happened last year, and it was incredibly warm and dry summer, as we remember, that puts, uh, that puts stress on new plants, but it also puts stress on plants that have been in there in the landscape for quite a while. So those things, uh, those things can, be, uh, can show themselves right now. As far as what the, the warm winter did, uh, you know, uh, what I would say is you're going to see possibly more insects uh, this this year. Things uh, things that are like ticks are uh, are usually going after a warm winter like this. You're probably going to uh, you're probably going to see more of them this this year. So you want to be aware of that, of course, uh, with Lyme and all that uh, being so prominent around here. And of course, some areas got over four inches of rain back on Sunday. What's the effect of that on gardens, both the ones that have already been early planted and the ones that haven't been planted yet? Well, that that rainfall was sort of a a good thing. It was really dry. Uh, We hadn't really had substantial rain for a month, and with the kind of winds we have around here in the spring, it really was uh, dried out. I mean, here at the nursery, it was was sort of like the Sahara. It felt like the, you know, every day was a dust storm here. So that that heavy rain that we got was a good penetrating rain and should put everybody on an even keel 
for getting started in their gardens. But but as we know, with every new plant that you put in the garden, the first year is always so important, and water is really the, the determiner. That regular supply of water is the determiner of whether a plant is going to do well or struggle in the, in the landscape. So uh, providing that, uh, that supplemental water is key whenever you put new plants in. I think the real first sign of spring, it's not the first robin, it's forsythia with that bright yellow bloom. And they were really great around here this year. They've passed their peak now. But I know someone who has decided, I want some of that on my property. What would you recommend for people that want to plant a forsythia bush or a line of forsythia to form like a, a hedge barrier between them and the neighbors? Well, I think forsythia is uh, is a really rewarding plant. I think, uh, and they're easy to grow, which is also very good. Um, even though they pass bloom, they're they're perfect to plant now, and you and you're going to get your uh, your payback on that next year. The thing that I would recommend to people, a lot of times, people forsythia is a fairly large growing plant. Uh, the one that you see commonly out there, and what a lot of people don't do well is to is to figure out what that ultimate size of that plant is going to be, and they try to they try to fit the plant in a small spot, and sometimes they end up not liking the the forsythia because they're out there hacking it back to fit the spot. So you should have the spot fit the plant is what it comes down to. Give it the room that you need and uh, the plant will do well for you. you just got to make sure that you have enough space for any plant that you're using as a hedge. And for people that drive around Romantic Willimantic who are in the neighborhood of Wyndham Hospital, specifically Prospect Street near Mansfield Avenue, there's a house there on the north side of Prospect, which every year at this time has a spectacular display of what I believe is flocks. And I've taken pictures of that. I just took one yesterday and I noticed compared to my pictures in prior years, they're about three weeks earlier this year than they were last year. Is that a trend you're seeing with all plants? Well, you know, I, I heard uh, I heard before we went on about how you're talking about how April was is uh, close to six degrees above normal temperature wise. And uh, that in itself is is why those plants are out so early this year. And uh, so I would say that a lot of landscape stuff, like creeping flocks, that normally is putting on that show in the first week of May, is now putting on that show uh, two weeks earlier this year, maybe even more than that. Those three days of 90 degrees, man, that kind of supercharges those plants and, and all of a sudden gets them to really blow up quickly. So there, there's some of those plants that what you're saying there is, uh, is not unusual when you have that kind of early heat. And for folks who might want to get that look on their property, when's the best time to plant a new crop of that creeping phlox? Uh, now's the time. I'll tell you, if you go into any garden center, you're going to see it. I know uh, uh, being out in the nursery yesterday, we, we're selling that like crazy right now. There's no two ways about it to our customers, and they're, they're just are spectacular. And as you say, it, it's a plant that is such a tolerant plant also. Uh, most times after the first year when you, you get them established and all that, they kind of do their own thing, and it's, it's really one of those, uh, those great the memorable things. You said it correctly, and you say, man, I, I know this house. I've seen it. It's just 
crazy how much color is there, and that's what that plant does, and and it's and is so easy to grow. What are some of the tougher plants that can survive drier, warmer conditions, and are a lot of those tough plants native to eastern Connecticut? Well, there's loads of great native plants that uh, will survive dry areas, and uh, and you know you think about some of these things as you said after a summer like last summer now. There, there are certain things that people maybe don't. Uh, I, I deal in these uh, these crazy scientific names, but uh, there's uh, there's a plant called Comptonia that you, that nearly grows in sand. That's called sweet fern. There's a, a shrub named Deer Villa, or uh, which is uh, which is a bush honeysuckle. Hypericum. There's a type of oak leaf, oak leaf hydrangea. All of these are, are great native plants that do well in dry conditions. Amelanchier, which is something that just went out of bloom. That's kind of a shrubby tree that uh, is just covered with white flowers and and berries for birds in the in the summer and fall. Oaks. There's loads of vines. There's different perennials. There are lots of plants that you can buy that are great native plants for our area that will survive in drier conditions. And the opposite of native plants, invasive plants. What are some popular invasive plants that you discourage people getting because they're not native to this area? Well, you know, it's uh, one of the one of the key native plants that you see everywhere here, and uh, is called bittersweet, and and it's, it was even up until uh, you know ten years ago, people were selling bittersweet, and, and uh, there's no there's a, an Asian bittersweet that is the invasive one, and that's that orange berry that you see in the fall, and people make wreaths out of it and stuff, and it is pretty. But every one of those berries is a potential new plant out there. In fact, uh, I'll guarantee you that if people d- let their lawn go uncut for, for three or four weeks, like I do occasionally, you're going to see little, little uh, bittersweet vines growing out of, your, uh, got out of your lawn. They seed everywhere. So that, that's probably the chief uh, invasive plant around, but there's an amazing array of invasive plants that have uh, that have kind of made their way into our area. There's loads of uh, barberry, for instance, that are just dominating the floor of wooded areas right now. All escaped plants from from uh, from seeds that were carried by birds and deposited it, and have really taken over areas from native plants. So there's a lot of them around. How about purple loosestrife? It looks nice, but it's not something that we really want around here. That you're absolutely right about that, Wayne. That and most people won't see that uh, uh, at its worst, if you will, and at its best until summertime, and it accumulates in wet areas. All of a sudden, in uh, in July, usually you see those areas light up with this plant that at that these purple purple. Uh, um, uh, flowers, these spiky purple flowers, all along waterways, and that's exactly what they do. They crowd out areas. Looks great, but it is definitely invasive, and uh, that's a plant that's not being sold around anymore, which is good. Even if a plant grows up to be a strong grower in tough, dry conditions, how should you treat a new planting so you have success in your landscape? 
Well, that's a great question. You know, people look at plants that say drought resistant and they say, perfect, all I got to do is put it in the ground and it takes care of itself. But that's not the case. As with any new plant that has a limited root system, you definitely have to give it the right supplemental water for at least the first year so you do get it established at that point. And then it does do it on its own. But uh, but you have to do that work, the proper watering, uh, which is so important to get plants established so they can do their thing. Tim, what about people that want to plant roses? Number one, can you do it now or you have to wait on that? Number two, what tips do you have? for people who want to grow nice, colorful roses in their yard? Well, you can plant roses now, Wayne, without too much of an issue. And, you know, roses are like the the true least common denominator when it comes to uh, doing anything non-food-related gardening. Everybody knows roses. Everybody, everybody has an idea for roses, and everybody wants good roses is what it comes down to, whether they're buying cut or putting them in their own yard. Uh, the thing that uh, you have to remember with roses is that not all roses are created equal. There's, uh, there's roses that you buy as cut flowers out there that are the roses that everybody strives for, that they're, they're beautiful plants, those big, long-stem roses, and they tend to be actually the worst garden plants that you could ever put in. They're hard to take care of. They have a lot of disease issues. They're they're really they're really not what I would call incredibly rewarding unless your focus is to be out there and to be a rosarian and just be out there regularly every day checking, spraying, blah blah blah. I think most people who want to grow roses want to grow roses that are beautiful and that the plants are easy to take care of. And there are roses out there like that. There's roses that are not grafted. Many of them tend to be smaller roses. Many of them tend to be, uh, you know, these plants that are more bush-like and shrub-like kind of thing. But they are incredibly rewarding. Flower all summer few disease issues, unlike those tea roses that we were talking about, and actually a, a great part of the landscape that continues to bloom year-round. So you're usually looking for own root roses, not grafted roses, and there's things like knockouts and oh-so-easy roses and easy elegance roses, all these roses that you can see out there that are really your best choice for, uh, for feeling fulfilled if you're going to be planting roses in the landscape. And two of the most popular ornamental plants are hydrangeas and rhododendrons. What tips can you have for people who want to get the best-looking hydrangeas and rhododendrons? Well, with all plants, it's always putting them in the right place is what it comes down to. Uh, There's loads of rhododendrons around. You remember my little talk that we had on those forsythia you know, it's a great plant until you put it in the wrong place, and then you're just uh, you're doing battle with it. You want to put plants in a place where they can succeed, and you don't have to battle with them. When it comes to rhododendron, they like a morning sun, afternoon shade uh, area, and they, they tend to be bigger plants, so you have to let them be that is what it comes down to. And uh, and hydrangea hydrangea are are really kind of the New England plant. I mean, if you go down the shoreline and take in those beautiful blue 
hydrangea during the summertime. Everybody wants to do that. There's varieties that you can use, and again, they should be put in an area that gets morning sun, afternoon shade, and you should be using plants that are really what we call now reblooming hydrangeas. Those are the ones that are most rewarding because they grow, they flower on the 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 growth that comes out in that year, and that makes them rewarding, unlike old-fashioned hydrangea that used to only bloom on the wood or the, the, plant, the part of the plant that overwintered successfully. So there's lots of good rewarding hydrangeas that you can succeed with around here and enjoy the bloom. When I'm down in the middle Atlantic states in the spring and early summer, Crepe myrtles are spectacular. Are we too far north to get crepe myrtle around here? Do you know people around here that can successfully grow it? it, it that's a, a funny question, a great question, Wayne, because uh, you're right. Even if you go into Long Island and North Jersey, you see crepe myrtle everywhere. And it, right here, we are right on the borderline where you can grow it. In fact, uh, there is... There's a place that I used to drive by in Norwich, uh, and on this busy street in Norwich, that uh, that in the summertime I'd see this crepe myrtle blooming, and every year it died back to the ground. It would come back every year, and it would stay small because of that, but it would bloom. But it, the plant itself never survived, and that's really what you're up against here for crepe myrtle. Uh, even the hardiest of them, they'll make it through the winter. They just won't make it as that those big, beautiful, shrubby trees that you see down in, in North Jersey and South. But uh, that plant, uh, maybe with global warming, is going to creep north here. There's no doubt about it. Coming up this Friday is Arbor Day, and Tim, I know that you're really sweet on the importance of trees to the planet. So tell me about hugging a tree today. What are your thoughts on the value of trees? Uh, trees are incredibly valuable. In fact, uh, they are, you know, a lot of times people feel helpless. They can't do anything. You talk about these big global things like global warming, and a person kind of says, what can I do? Well, you know, the thing that you can do is plant a tree because trees are really the first line of defense to sequestering carbon, to cleaning the atmosphere, and to, uh, and to fight global warming. If everybody, if everybody that had a yard planted a tree, it, it, we, we'd have a lot less of an issue going on here. We need to plan. That's what, uh, that's what we need to do as individuals on this planet. Just simply planting a tree and is, uh, is a way that all of us can, can act and feel like we are making a difference. So oak trees are great plants for, for, uh, for not only supporting pollinators, but also uh, helping with uh, global warming. But any tree that you put out there, any good shade tree, it helps the landscape, it helps the look of your yard, it's a great thing you can do with your family, and it's something that is so long live that you, you have some family history that you can share. Driving through eastern Connecticut, you don't have to look far to see the amount of larger trees that were killed off by gypsy moth caterpillars a couple of years ago. And the danger that these dead trees pose to homes and utility lines is increasing interest in smaller trees. Tim, what are small trees and what are some varieties that you would recommend for our listeners? Well, there's, there's lots of great small trees out there, and some of them that we talked about earlier, things like do, uh, native dogwoods, uh, 
there's uh, things like crab apples that are that are smaller growing trees. They might not necessarily be shade trees, but they're smaller trees that work when you have obstructions like lines. There's also uh, different native trees. Uh, there's a plant called halesia. It's uh, it's actually uh, it, there's actually a plant that was developed. Uh, uh, there's a variety that was developed at Yukon. that's called Yukon wedding bells. Uh, uh, that that's a type of small tree that, that that's native and works well. There's some great non-native trees. Lace bark maple is a good tree for that. There's also different shaped trees that can get tall, but they say skinny. These are called like fastigit trees. There's uh, there's different birches, different or, uh, oaks, different hornbeams. There's all different kinds of shapes of, of trees for different areas that maybe stay skinny and avoid some of that issue. All good trees that just people haven't been used to using. Are any of them native to our area? Oh, absolutely. The the that halesia I talked about, dogwoods are all native uh, to us. Some uh, the birch, the oaks, the the hornbeams. Are, these are all different types of trees that are that are native to our area, and people uh, can and should grow more of. A lot of people like to grow things like peppers and tomatoes, but can homeowners grow their own fruits in Connecticut, like fruit trees and small fruits? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, one of the most rewarding things that people can do is to grow is to grow small fruits. Things like raspberries and blueberries are are so easy to grow, and they they are actually a good part of the landscape. Blueberries, as a matter of fact, can be really rewarding. They're good for supporting pollinators uh, when they bloom in early in early May. They they reward you with great fruit, and they also have a, a a beautiful fall color on them. They actually are a great landscape plant, along with giving you uh, the the small fruit. And let's face it, everybody buys blueberries, uh, raspberries. Again, easy to grow. Some plants uh, uh, fruit in the summer, and again in the fall. Even fruit trees. Uh, fruit trees are a little bit more work. Uh, they definitely, uh, but. I'll have to tell you that one of the fastest growing areas from what we are selling is fruit trees and small fruit. So there is a trend out there and people are people are trying to grow their own. There's no doubt. What food plant do you sell at Prides that would most surprise our listeners? Well, you know that uh, we we sell lots of different fruit plants, but uh, but you know there's probably two plants that I can think of that people would be surprised about. One is kiwis. There's so there's our hardy kiwis that you can grow around here, and the second are figs. Now more people know figs, but they're not exactly hardy around here. But we grow lots of figs that we are selling and that people grow in containers around here and just move into their garage and, and protect over the winter and then move it back out. So those are two kind of more exotic fruit trees or fruit plants that we grow and, and sell quite a few of around here. With so many people working from home or enjoying warmer weather outside, what kind of plants provide a living fence or a living screen to make our yards more private? Yeah, I know that that really has become important, and we saw 
such a huge uptick in in those kinds of plants. Uh, not only just people working at home, but people actually staying at home and having movie nights and and things like that, where they're really centered around their yard. Their yard has become more important, and part of that. Uh, the need for privacy has become more important because of that. The 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 plant that people always want is something that's that's tall, narrow, and evergreen. And those kinds of plants have exploded uh, it, for people's use. Things like uh, different types of arborvitae. There's there's one that's called green giant that's just this fast growing, uh, tall, uh, narrower, evergreen. But arborvitae seem to be taking the 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 front charge of that but there's there's different upright junipers that are good for that and if people want some of those fastidious trees while they will lose their leaves in the winter make great hedging for certain yards so there's plenty of plants that you can use it all depends on what you want is there anything else that you would like to add to encourage our listeners to try some gardening this season including maybe something they haven't tried before well I think that, uh, well, th- this is kind of a, this feels like one of the, you know, you're talking about a little bit of philosophy here, but everybody has some connection to the soil. Uh, we've all, I think all at one point, uh, it's kind of this, uh, this, this inbred type of thing that you, it just clicks when you get out in the yard. And I just think that people just go out and do some stuff. Now, there's always tons of different plants that you can grow and different vegetables that you can try and different plants that maybe you've admired and seen in people's yards that you can try to grow. But what I'm going to tell you is the fact that some people just don't think that they can do some of this stuff or that, you know, there's this, this whole black thumb, green thumb thing out there. But you'll be surprised if you just get out there and... Uh, Go out there with the expectation of just having a little bit of fun, how much you can get done in the garden, how much it'll be part of your life. So it's not about specific plants. It's just about the, about getting out there and doing it. Uh, you know, you and I, Wayne, uh, you know, we're on the airline trail. I'm biking, you're walking, and it's opened up a whole new thing. And gardening can be that for people that uh, that just sometimes just don't go outside a whole bunch to do anything in their yard. That's a great tie-in, great connection there. I think just the people that live around here that don't see Pride's Corner Farms on a daily or even yearly basis may not realize what a big operation it is. Give me an idea about the scope of what Pride's does and how many employees, how many tractor-trailer trucks leave Pride's shipping area every day in the busy season? Well, you know, we are we're really at the, we are at the busiest part of our season next two uh, three weeks, and we're currently sending a, we're currently loading and shipping uh, seventy plus tractor trailers of plants out to garden centers from northern Maine to Virginia, out as far west as Chicago. So the we got plants going everywhere to independent uh, garden centers and independent landscapers. Uh, all over, really, the the northeast quadrant of the country. Now, we grow we grow thousands of different varieties of plants here, and we're growing them. As you said, we have four locations uh, 
in here in Lebanon, Ledger, Cromwell, and in uh, West Suffield, uh, and that's over a thousand acres of plants, all in containers that were growing in those locations, and with the uh, with really uh, close to six hundred fifty plus people working uh, total in all those locations too. So it's it's become a it's become a big place. What's the decision process on what plants to grow? Oh, that's a that's an interesting one. You know, the there's no. Uh, let me tell you, there's so many plant breeders out there. There's always loads of new plants coming on. It's easy to add plants to what we do. What is difficult is is to remove plants from what we've done for so long and keep cycling plants out. So it's a it's really kind of a in a lot of ways what I would call a good natured battle here. Uh, about the inventory, what we're adding, what we're taking off. People have their favorites. It's it's sort of like, uh, you know, I, I would guess that it's sort of like, uh, you know, any kind of uh, any kind of good debate that you have. There's not really many winners, but there's a lot of passion. Hey, one last note. You just talked about soil a few minutes ago, and I think you should encourage the people who want to take their gardens seriously to get their soil tested, take samples of it, different places on their property, up to the Yukon Home and Garden Center. You know, that's, uh, you're absolutely right, Wayne. It's, uh, it's one of the, the great uh, uh, lesser-known things that you can do as a result of, uh, of just you paying taxes. I mean, this is, uh, this is a service that's being offered to you that maybe you don't know about, but it can tell you a lot about your soil. It can help you be successful, and it's really a, a very easy process and uh, and uh, a, an extremely low-cost process. In fact, it'll save you lots of issues and make you feel successful if you, do, if you follow their advice. Tim, so great catching up with you. I know you're a big tree guy. What's a tree's favorite radio station? Oh. Well, I mean, I'm, uh, aren't I talking to the favorite radio station here? Well, yes, but a tree's favorite radio station is one that plays poplar songs. <laughs> That's it. Tim, uh, thank you very much. Go hug a tree. Yeah, I think I will after that, Wayne. Thank you. <laughs> Tim Kane, Inventory and Marketing Manager at Pride's Corner Farms, Lebanon, Cromwell, Ledyard, and West Suffield.